Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up later, you letting social media run your life? Well, let me tell you, there are very simple steps you can take to get your day back in your control instead of letting mindlessly have social media control your mood, your thoughts, and your day. So I can tell you that some of the things we talk about, actually most of what we talk about on our show, come out of what we hear from you. Areas where you're confused, areas where you're getting taken, ripped off, whatever. One of the areas of greatest confusion and hurt to your wallet involves when you book a trip and something happens and you can't go. And you can lose all the money you paid to a substantial amount of money just depending on the circumstance. So we at Clark.com have just revised our guide to how you should go about doing the trip insurance or travel insurance thing, whatever you want to call it, because there are certain types of travel needs that you're only protected if you have insurance coverage for it. And two examples are very center in my mind based on people who've lost many thousands of dollars in individual incidents. Number one is cruises. Number two is any kind of prepaid tour. In both cases, without some form of travel insurance, you risk losing all your money in the event that you can't take the trip for certain covered things, which are usually based on illness of you or a family member or something like that. And they also help you with this insurance if you're on a trip and a family emergency happens that qualifies and eat, they will eat the cost of getting you back home where you're buying travel at the very last second to get back home. So trip insurance is ultra important for another reason. It deals with supplier default. There have been so many tour operators, even those that have been around for decade after decade after decade, that suddenly close up shop and leave people high and dry. Because of that, having trip insurance to protect your tour, to protect your money for the same reasons I just talked about with booking a cruise, trip insurance is really key. The good news now is there are a number of credit cards that offer free trip insurance if you use them to book your travel. The most high-volume one that people use, Costco members using the Costco Visa card, booking travel with that card, get up to $3,000 in coverage per person for free just for using the card for your travel. But they're not alone. There are a number of travel-oriented credit cards that offer the free trip insurance. So when do I not consider buying it or using it? In my case, I never buy it because I use the credit card that covers me. When you're buying typically an airline ticket, uh, most airline tickets have maybe a fee to change your travel, but they're not in a situation usually where you lose all your money. Southwest charges no fee 
in the event your trip changes and you have a year to use all the money if your trip cancels or whatever. And so that's a great form of upfront travel insurance and you can do it for any reason. Now, there's a website called insuremytrip.com that'll walk you through shopping for travel insurance and give you quotes from a variety of companies. And if there's any pre-existing condition someone has or anything like that, read the rules on that thoroughly for any policy you're considering buying. And know this, you may need a policy that also covers your health because many health insurance coverage plans do not cover you when you leave the United States. Uh, Medicare recipients need to know that as well. And if you're going to go somewhere in the third world, where medical care may be spotty or terrible, you may want to consider as part of buying a trip insurance policy coverage for medical evacuation by whatever means necessary, whether it's special helicopters or airplanes or whatever, to get you to a proper medical facility that can treat you for whatever condition you have. Son is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing today? Hi, Clark. Hi. Uh, I'm a little nervous. I never thought I would call in to talk to you. Well, I'm glad to have you here, and don't be nervous at all. It's just you and me having a chat over the fence. Okay. My situation is I, I was in a prior relationship where the person I was with had a huge spending problem, so I did take on some debt, and now that, you know, back on my feet, I have to pretty much rebuild like, my savings my 401k and paying off uh, credit card debt. So I was wondering when it So comes you to ended that, up you ended up absorbing the debt from this bad relationship on your credit cards? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and I emptied my, you know, savings and all that as well. And you know, it's it's my own doing. I kind of allowed it to ha- well, I did allow it to happen. So Okay, okay. Now wait, wait, wait. When you're in a relationship with somebody who's abusive or takes advantage don't blame yourself. Okay. Don't Thanks, blame Clark. yourself because there are times we do things out of love that on reflection we're like, how did I allow myself to be taken advantage of by that person? But people, you know, love is blind. And please don't feel internally that you did something wrong. You did nothing wrong. The other individual who took advantage is the person who did something wrong. Okay, thank you. So please give yourself that peace that if you're feeling guilt, the only guilt should be felt by the person who took advantage. Okay, thank you for that, Clark. I do appreciate that. So now you're rebuilding, and how much credit card debt are you facing? It's a total of around 26000 across three you know, major credit cards. There were store cards, but I paid those off already. So I'm just wondering, you know, how do you want me to go about that? So 26000 Can I ask what kind of annual income you have? Uh, yeah, sure. My annual income, I had to take a job that was a lot less pay, but right now it's around 42000 Okay. I got I to gotta lay it out straight to you. Having $26,000 in credit card debt against forty two in income is very, very difficult to conquer. Okay. And well, I will say that I, mean, I am currently staying with a relative 
that's pretty much allowing me to stay rent free. I wasn't sure if that factors in. That factors in huge. Because it means the money you would have spent, uh, let's say a thousand a month, you would have been spending on rent, can go straight towards the credit cards. Yes, sir. So I'm very blessed in that aspect. They're helping me get back on my feet. That so. changes everything. If that relative, out of kindness and love for you, is allowing you to stay, and as you rebuild your finances, then you just tackle this straight on with um, how much can you you think afford to pay towards the credit cards each month knowing you're not paying rent oh i haven't done the math but basically i've been paying about on average around maybe 700 each month okay altogether that's fantastic because that's enough money that you're going to make a big dent in this debt you think about that, that's probably a four-year payment cycle. You take it to zero credit card debt. Okay. You step it up to 1000 a month, you're talking a three-year cycle. Yes, sir. And so what you do is you pay the minimum on the two lower interest rate cards each month, and then the rest of that $700 goes towards the one with the highest interest rate. Yes, sir. And you just keep that up. And what will happen is in just a few months, you'll see that more and more of each dollar you pay is going towards the principal instead of towards interest. Okay. okay that, that sounds great. Uh, as far as, like, parties, should it be credit card over my, like, emergency fund and my 401k? I uh, hate to say this, but other than putting into your 401k enough to pick up an employer match... Yes, sir. Everything else should go towards paying down the credit card debt. Okay. That makes perfect sense to me. Thank you. I do appreciate your help. And please, I know you're, you feel the guilt we talked about earlier. I ask you from this moment forward, give yourself the permission to excise that guilt from your heart and your head. Uh, thank you, Clark, so much for that advice, uh, personal and financial. And I do appreciate everything that you have done and your team does as well. Well, thank you. And, and call in a year from now for a checkup. Let's talk about where you are, how you're doing with it. Mary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mary. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Mary, you got money floating around. Are you selling a house or are you just making money on it every month? Well, both. Right now, we are making money on it, um, but we are thinking about selling the rental property only because it's a great market here in Florida. I know you love rental properties and being a landlord, but we're kind of over that now. So if we go to sell it, I was wondering what should we do with those proceeds? And I don't even know if I should be probably talking to a tax accountant about that. Uh, we don't have a house in mind right away to purchase. Right, so, so that's, a, that's, that's a good question. So how much profit are you going to make versus what you originally paid for the property versus what it's likely to go for? Roughly, we're taking a guess at about 75000 And have you been depreciating the value of the property each year? Have you been taking that deduction that you get for having investment real estate? Yes. All right, so your your actual profit will be higher than that because your basis oh. is adjusted by the fact that you've been depreciating each year. 
Okay. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. So a move that you would have to make before you would sell is you can do something known as a 1030, I always forget if it's a 1035 exchange or 1031. One is for life insurance products and the other is for sale of real estate. But you can do a tax-free exchange, which is a 1031. Okay, so I had it right the first time. I shouldn't have doubted myself. You can do a 1031 where the money is held by an intermediary but then you are on an expedited schedule to identify another property and get that closed. Okay. And since you don't want to be in the investment real estate business, I would just sell it and pay your taxes. Okay. Okay. And we were leaning towards that, but we just wanted to to check out all avenues and, and, and figure out what we need to do, which is best for us. And as far think about this. You get back whatever net. Do you have a mortgage on the property? We do, yes. So you get back the net of the mortgage, you have that cash, you pay your gain, your tax on the gain, and then you've got this money that you can then use in whatever way best suits your goals. Okay. And one thing I like at a time like this, which is basically a a life change circumstance, because you're going to have a supply of cash you're not used to having is that you go sit down for an hour with a fee-only financial planner. Oh, yes. And there's a group that I can tell you would be good for you to go talk to and get a checkup with this in mind, and that would be Garrett Planning Network. Okay. Which works differently than most financial advisors in that you just pay them for hourly advice like you would pay a lawyer or an accountant. Got it. And Garrett is two R's, two T's. Got it. Okay. Well, I think that's great. You've been getting income from this, getting a net profit every month. Now you're going to make a nice profit on selling, on appreciated gain. And then you've got a new chapter of what you do with the money in your life. Yes. That's a good track record with real estate. Everybody wishes they were that lucky, Mary. Jennifer joins us on the Clark Howard Show. You have an important warning for your fellow listener, don't you? Yes. Yes, sir, I do. Um, My mother was on her laptop a couple days ago, and she had a message pop up as she was just surfing the Internet. Most of us said that she needed to call Microsoft that her her laptop had a virus on it. So they provided the number. Yeah. Uh, they provided the number, oh. and she called the number, and um, they ended up transferring her to a company, and they claimed they gained remote access onto her computer. Yeah, and she has claimed, to give them certain information, and then once yeah. she does, they can operate her computer as if they're sitting right there next to your mom. Yes, yes, and that is that is just extremely scary. I mean, it's terrifying. And so they gained access and claimed to have fixed the problem. And when I heard all this, I got a little um, little concerned, so I called the real Microsoft, and the first thing she told me is, yes, it is. It is indeed a scam. We're not going to send you a message telling you to call us. So she said, message, emails, we're not going to do that. Just, you know, feel free to call us directly. But so I, I Googled the number and called them directly. But 
um, it's, it was a pretty good scam and it caught me off guard. But um, Have they gotten any that. money out of your mom? No, sir, they didn't. They didn't. Um, they did agree to her mailing them a check, which was another red flag to me. All right. So there's something else, though. They probably have put on her computer a keylogger program or other spyware. Yes. Yes. And that's, there was a couple of apps on her computer icons, and I got in there yesterday and deleted them. But Okay. I need um, for you to run a full antivirus checkup. If you will, Jennifer, if you'll look at Clark.com on my free and cheap section, I have some antivirus that I'd like you to download on your mom's computer and run it and see what else might be lurking there. And for now, she should do no banking on that computer. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Our main web address, Clark.com. So how active are you on social media? Most recent report in Facebook's quarterly profits that were great in spite of all the clouds over Facebook, over 2 billion people around the world are on Facebook. And a lot of people use, in addition to Facebook, any of a number of other social media outlets. And here's the thing. There was research done by professors at two universities, Stanford and New York University, that found that if you will deactivate, and their study specifically focused on Facebook, if you deactivate your Facebook account for just 28 days, a little less than a typical month, except for February, and you just step away from it for those four weeks, you will find that your life improves dramatically. Your mood what you do with your time, that you, in fact, have a much happier life by many different measures than you do with all the time that you're on that social media feed. Guess how much additional time you pick up on average in your life per day just by stepping away from that Facebook feed for a month, an hour a day is back in your life. So you reconnect with people, family and friends, you do more activity, and you're just flat out happier. So it can become addictive. Is there a step in between? Well, there is. If you use the Chrome browser on a Windows computer, a Mac computer, or obviously a Chromebook, there's what's known as an extension that you can use on Chrome. And one of the ones there is the Newsfeed Eradicator for Facebook. It gets phenomenal reviews. Our producer Joel started using it because he felt he was getting sucked in too much by Facebook. And what it does is it changes the way Facebook presents so that your feed is not continually updating. And so you have to actively decide you're going to be involved instead of passively, like a drone, just looking again and again and again. And it's been a huge improvement for Joel in his life, and it didn't take him to the step of stepping away from Facebook completely, but it did get him more quality of life. Think about it. 
I'm sorry. How do I say your name? Is it Babu? Babu, I want to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Clark, and it's an honor to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. You are interested in real estate investing. Yes, Clark. Um, I do have a question regarding real estate investment. Uh, just to give you some background, uh, we currently max out on both of our Roth IRA contributions as well as my Roth 401k contribution at work. And we also fully contribute to our HSA account. We own our home and two condo units free and clear. Congratulations. Both of our cars cars are paid for as well. Wow. We also have enough money in our rainy day fund. And after all this, we have uh, close to $200,000 saved in our online savings account. And I came across this real estate investment website that touts like 10% return on your investments. And I was wondering what you think about it. Okay, I need to explain to you how that actually works. It is not a 10% return on your money. And this is, I am so glad you're asking this question because this is one of the most either misrepresented or misunderstood parts of real estate investing. What happens is they, the 10% is made up of money that the real estate is expected to earn and a portion of the money you invest being returned to you. So there, the calculated in the 10% is a return of your own principal, your own money. I see. So it's not a scam. Uh, but these things are what's known as illiquid, that the money you put in is not readily available to you if later you were to need it. And the expenses can be very high. Typically, you'll find that uh, with a lot of the offers being made now, you pay in the range of 3% up front of the money that you would invest with them. Wow. Do you know, does the one you're looking at have a 3% origination fee? Yeah, something like that. I did read something about that, and I did uh, know that it's something close to that, yes. All right, so what happens is you, for every dollar you put in, it's instantly 97 cents instead of a dollar. So you got to work even to get back to where you started. And then the ongoing expenses are often in the range of about 1.5% or so per year. So the underlying investments have to do extremely well just for you to get back to break even. And I can tell you they're not going to return a true 10% per year. So do you have any alternate investment for us? Well, Let's talk this through. So you have this couple hundred thousand dollars, and congratulations to you. You have eliminated most debts in your life. You've developed a, a wonderful portfolio of investments, building wealth, and you've got this idle cash. Did I hear you say that you have a couple of investment properties already? Yes. So do you like having investment properties? No. Okay. <laughs> 
I needed to know that. And do you prefer real estate as a way of investing versus, let's say, being in stock type investing? Right. So the reason why I chose real estate is because most of my rest of the money, either in the Roth IRA or in the 401k, is all invested in stock type choices. Okay. So you feel like you need to balance that out. Exactly. All right. Because if you told me that you liked having rental properties, I would tell you, well, that's what you should be doing. But because you've told me you don't like them and you still want to do real estate, I would look at a real estate fund. And you could go in, one of my favorites for you to look at is what's known as a REIT index fund. Okay. REIT for Real Estate Investment Trust, which is the kind of thing that you... Uh, we're looking at the pitch for, but instead you go into one that's managed by a professional that buys parts of a variety of different real estate investing groups. And so you make your money over time in an ultra-low-cost investment that doesn't have an upfront fee, and you're making money off of their ability to invest in a broad variety of could be hotel REITs, apartment REITs, storage unit REITs, could be medical center REITs. I mean, there are so many different types of real estate investment trusts that instead of you trying to pick the one that's going to work best, I like you going into an ultra inexpensive fund with any of the low cost providers I have listed on my investment guide. Oh, that would be perfect. Great advice. But if you do that, I don't want you putting $200,000 in idle cash all in that. Oh, okay. Um, I would look at that as only one piece of the investing you do. And I still believe that stock investing both here and overseas through funds is the best form of diversification there is. And I do about one-third of my investing in real estate in various forms and two-thirds in stock-type choices. That's just the mix that has worked well for me. Scott's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Scott. How you doing? I'm fine, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Now, I love when somebody's asking a question, Scott, I see just a few words about their question. And what I see about your question is basically, are you saving too much money for your kid's college? That is, that's a wonderful question. So So tell me what's the situation, what's going on? Well, so I have a rising sophomore in high school and I have a uh, rising sixth grader. And so we have 529 accounts for both of them. And uh, basically my goal is to pay for their education, you know, as far as they would like to go, whether that be advanced degree or medical school or whatever. And I just want to know, you know, how much is too much? I don't want to basically end up giving the government a a big tax, you know, check at the end if if we don't use this money. So you have a 10th grader and the other child you said was fifth grader, rising fifth? Rising sixth. Rising sixth. All right. So the strategy you can use when you have kids who are four grades apart, is that you put money for the kid's college 
heavily in the account for the 10th grader. Okay. And the reason you do that is with 529 plans, you are able if, let's say, your 10th grader finishes education, still has money left over, you can transfer tax-free to the benefit of the 6th grader at any point. So uh, you can change what's known as the beneficiary designation. So if your 10th grader gets through college in four years, they'll be finished when the next one's coming along. And so you'll, you'll have a pretty good sense about what needs there may be for graduate school or whatever. You'll know. So you could even okay. do two-thirds, one-third, where you're saving more for the 10th grader than the 6th grader. Because it's and, the 6th grader is the one who benefits from whatever money is left over from the 10th grader. But if you think of it in reverse, if you're doing equal amounts and you're trying to husband cash, you could end up in a situation where you end up eventually with too much money in there for the 6th grader. Both have finished their college education years down the road, and you end up with excess funds, which is why it's best to front load for the older child rather than equally distribute for older and younger. I see. Okay. Now, is there a, a goal amount I should have in mind, or is it... Um, well, it's, it's pretty difficult to ever save yeah. enough in a 529 plan to outrun college expenses. You think your kids are likely to go to state schools or private colleges? I would think state school. So let's say that they don't qualify for financial aid. You take the expenses that are that are all involved with college. A four-year degree can be 100000 at a state school when yeah. you take in all the expenses. What kind of track are you on as far as what kind of money you're looking at you might have saved by the time either child I'm, enters college? Well, I'm thinking for the my rising sophomore, I should have that 100000 pretty easy. Well, good um, for you. So, and, so then, then if you're in a position greater. like that, then you will have done the right thing, and then okay. you know you have this ability to transfer the money not needed to the one four years younger. I think you'll be in great shape. You're saving so much money for college. I just want to ask you one last question. Are you saving enough for your own retirement? Yes, I I believe I am. Uh, Okay, as long as you're getting that done first, your kids are, I hope they'll appreciate it someday that you put all this money aside for them for college and keep that from being the burden we hear from so many people with the student loan debt. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where producer Joel asks your questions for you that you posted at Clark.com. Joel, who you got? Clark got a question from Samuel. He says, I heard you say that when you retire to make sure that you have seven to ten times your salary at the retirement age. Now, first, did I understand you right? And second, is the seven to ten times above income before or after tax? What a great question. That is not my formula. Um, I've talked about a formula for life insurance that when you are in your earning years, I like for you to have 10 times your annual income for in life insurance for your survivors. In retirement, I've said something completely different. And what I've said is I'm a big believer in something known as the 4% rule. If you take 
what you have saved over your working years and add it up, can you get through a year on 4% of that? So if you have that added with whatever else you have, whether it's Social Security or if you're lucky enough to have any kind of pension from a workplace or whatever, if you can live off of those things plus 4% of what you've saved, you're good. If you can't, it means you need to save more money. Clark, right now I'm going to ask John's question. He said, I'm trying to book a short cruise. What's the best website to look at for last-minute trips uh, to find a good deal? So there is no one go-to. And i like for you to look at a few of them. One is cruisecritic.com. And one of the buttons they have on the homepage is last-minute cruise deals. The other is to look at cruisecompete.com. And that's one where it puts cruise agencies into bid against each other for your business. And in addition, Costco Travel, a division of Costco Wholesale, is a good place to look at cruises just generally because Costco Travel rebates a lot of their commission from your cruise booking. In addition, if you have the Costco Visa card, you get 3% back of the cost of the cruise on it. All right, and Joan writes in says, I paid off seven credit cards recently. Should I close them all at one time, keep them open, or close them one at a time over a spread out period? I'd rather you not close them at all as long as you wouldn't be tempted to use them. It will help with your credit score if those remain open, active accounts moving forward. Now, the history you have with them, even if you close them, stays as history for you that is some value. But the best value is that they remain active accounts. And if you can avoid temptation of getting into trouble with them and use each of them twice a year, that would be the perfect thing. It'd be twice a year for $5 each time and just keep them alive. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.